0: All right, let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at the book of Jude. We ask you to guide and lead us, your Holy Spirit to show us what you want us to see from all of this. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Jude, verse 16. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of the advantage. But beloved, remember, yet you the words that were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there should be mockers in the last days who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So we'll stop there, go through this. So, we had been reading about Enoch last time. Enoch was translated, but he gave, his, he gave the prophecy about the, the Lord will come with ten thousands of his saints. And we talked about how that was. And that the whole reason of this was to execute judgment upon all and to convince all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they had committed in their, hand, in their hard speeches unto, un, which the ungodly sinners had spoken against him. So we, that's where we ended last week. And then he goes, these, the people that were ungodly, these are murmurers, complainers, working after the, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. So here we're going to look, the description of the evil ones. And I read this one, I'm going, this is quite an interesting thing when we read it. First off, they are murmurers. They are discontent complaining against God. That sounds a lot like our, our world right now where everybody's discontent. And not always against God necessarily, but there are so many people that are discontent always. Uh, tomorrow when I go to work, I will hear over and over again, oh, it's Monday. And it's like, what is wrong with Monday? It's just another day. I've got to go back to work. I feel so sorry that you're that miserable because you have to work. But that is the way the world thinks. uh, And they have to complain about everything. And it used to be just a handful of people complained about everything. But nowadays it seems like everybody is complaining about everything going on. There's no contentment with God. And we need to be careful of that because people are so discontent in most of the times and murmur and complaining. We are to build up and edify as Christians. And hopefully we're going to get in that place where we're building up. I love to go in on Monday smiling and telling everybody what a good day it is and listening to the complain. I'm going, you know what, every day that God's in charge is a good day. Oh, I'm sure they do. (laughs) They go, you are way too happy. You should not be happy on Monday. I'm going, well, it's just another day that God has created. And I usually throw God in there somewhere in it. Just, to, just basically to irritate them. You now Maybe they'll talk to me about God if I do. But you know, a lot of it is just, to, you know, God has created this day. There's nothing to be unhappy about. Because many of the ones that are complaining say they're Christians. So to remind them what's going on is a wonderful thing. This is a day that God has created. Why are you murmuring and complaining and griping just because it is... Monday or Tuesday, you know, they get to Friday and they're happy that it's Friday, you know, uh, so they can go out and party and get drunk and not remember the weekend, <laughs> you know. What they did with Moses, though? Huh? What they did with Moses, though, oh, they complained about Moses and you know, gave him a hard time. Not only are they murmurers, they are complainers during this period of time that he's talking about. And complainers are those that are uh, discom- discontent with their lot in life and this is the hard thing this is so easy for all of us to do paul said i have learned to be content with much or with little because he knew that his his fulfillment came from god and yet so many people including so many christians all they are discontent nothing is good nothing is happy too much work too little work too hot too cold too you know <laughs> god isn't doing enough god isn't doing enough for me here he's doing too much for me here he's giving me Too many things to do. He hasn't given me enough to do. You hear it every direction. It doesn't matter where things are going. The complainers always have something to complain about. And, you know, it's so easy for us in our flesh to to decide, I'm going to be a complainer. (laughs) I'm going to complain, and I'm going to gripe because I'm just not happy with what is coming my way. And so murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, adhering, seeking what their own desires are. What gets us in trouble so often is doing what I want, not what God wants. And then when I'm doing what I want, then I'm not happy when I don't get what I wanted. Now I'm gonna start complaining and murmuring because I didn't get what I wanted. I'm sure that God wanted me to have what I wanted and didn't pray about it in the first place and not content. And God is, you know, as I'm walking over to the north, God's now over there in the south saying, hey, I'm, we're, I'm going this way. Would you come and join me? And this was way back in the 70s. The uh, Blackaby wrote a book, Experiencing God. And in it, he said that if you really want to experience God, you look around and find out where God is and you join him. Don't go do your thing and ask God to join you. And too many of us will try to do our own thing And say, God, it's really good. You should be blessing me because I'm doing something good. And God said, but it's not what I wanted. And this is something that's important. There's so many groups. A church will be given a good thing from God and be building their church with their program that God gives them. And instead of praising God about it and being happy about God, they package it up and sell it to other churches and say, this is how you get successful. And it's not going to work that well for the other church because it wasn't God's plan for that church. Uh, I had an evangelistic program that I went to and it worked real well for the church. And they had one stipulation, if you use their program, you had to use it exactly as, as, it were, as it was written. And I'm going, no thank you. I'm going to listen to God and do what God tells me to do. And you know, their program was good, it really was good, but you know, I didn't want to be stuck using it their way, you know, the way that God gave it to them for their church. And we need to be careful what works for one person that God gave them is not necessarily what we need to be doing. And it may, not, may or may not work for us, even though it works for somebody else. Because God does things individually for each person. And I think this is one of the reasons Jesus, when he was on well this world, healed different ways, spoke different ways to every single person, because can you imagine if he healed you know, healed blindness the same way every single time, every single time he spat in the spat on the ground, made mud and put it in people's eyes. What would everybody be doing? You want to get healed by healed by blindness? Go spit in the mud, mix it up, and pray to God and stick it in their eyes. But one person he did that. He said, "Washing the one person he just spoke," you know, he healed blindness in many different ways so that we as human beings wouldn't make a this is the way things are done statement on it. Uh, In the years that I have followed God, I have learned one very important lesson about God. He will not be put into a box. When you think this is how God does things, because this is how he did it to the last person I talked to, and you try to use that as a template for how to witness or how to share the gospel, it doesn't work. We need to listen to the spirit and work with God. He's not going to be put in a box and say, this is what you must do. Matter of fact, there's no box big enough to put God into anyway. And yet we try to put him into boxes all the time saying, okay, God, this is, this is what we're going to do. This has worked in the past. So we're going to put you in this box. And this is how we're going to minister. And I could see God saying, well, gee, my finger doesn't even fit in that box. And, and you want me to get into the box? Uh, and he's probably laughing at us you know, because of the way we think and what we're doing and you know because he's got a sense of humor and i can see him laughing at us saying oh you just want to do it your way go ahead and fail and when you're ready we'll do it my way and this is so important murmurs complainings walkers after their own flesh their mouths speaking great swelling words being boastful and this word literally means over (laughs) swelling all right they're they're speaking about what they don't even know in most cases. Have you ever been around anybody who knows the answers to everything? Even when they don't know the answer to everything, they know the answer to everything. Uh, In my family, there were two of them in heaven, help you if both of them were in the same room. Because neither one of them would allow the other to be right. And even if there was only one little small detail of what wasn't right, they would argue over that detail. I just learned to say, okay, whatever you say and walk away. Even when I knew they were wrong. What difference did it make to argue with them? Great, swelling, oridine, or, 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 And when you're around those people, they're irritating because they just have to be right. Now it's hard sometimes when they're wrong and, you, and you're going, okay, am I going to sit here and argue all day with them or i am just going to let them be... You know, make a quick point or two and then drop it, which is what I've learned to do. Make a couple points and just drop drop the conversation because it's one of the signs of the end times. You know, people murmuring, people complaining, people doing what they want to do, doing what's right in their own eyes, just as the days of Noah. And this is something that, you know, one of the signs of our times are these ones. And I didn't use this verse this morning, but this is part of our signs of our times and we read this and go on yep these are people today these are the people of today doing all of these things and then it says having men's persons in admiration because of advantage in other words playing up to people so that they can get profit by it you know looking at can i get can i get in on the side of this famous person so that i can get a little bit of the flow over of their, famous thing, their famousness, their, their money, get to, you know, whatever it might be, I'm trying to get on somebody's good side so that I can get a benefit from it, just like our world. Now, how many people, and this makes me, strikes me as so, as so funny saying. There, how many people there are that really are in love with some actor or actress because of the role they play? And I look at them, I'm going, it's a role. They are probably nothing like the person they're playing on the screen. And yet people think they know them because they've watched several of their movies or several of their their TV shows and go, I really like that person. I really know them. No, you don't know them at all. You know the actor that they're pretend, the, the player that they are pretending to be. And yet. They put this person up and hold them up in admiration, and you find out so many times this person may have had a great wholesome character on TV, which would be very rare, and they're a total, you know, uh, what's the right word? Uh, reprobate <laughs> in real life, you know, uh, and somebody you wouldn't want to know, and yet you go, "Wow, they play this really nice character on on the show." They, how could they play such a nice character and be a reprobate? And it could be the other way. They play in a complete reprobate on the, on the shows and they actually are a nice person. Now It can go either way. We don't know them because they're play acting. We don't know the singers in, that are on, their, on these songs. And this is one of the things that we're finding even in the Christian music industry. When you listen to the testimonies of so many of these Christian musicians, they have the same exact problems as the secular ones. They're sleeping around, being drunk, uh, getting into drugs, not every single one of them, but you hear their testimony over and over again saying, it was just as bad as being in the, in the world. And we raise them up saying, well, look how good they are. They're a great example on how to, how to worship and how to make these godly musics and everything. We need to be careful. It can happen with the teachers we listen to on the radio. Now, I hope most of them are good guys. But I don't, I, don't have, I don't know any of them personally, so I'm going, teach well, but I don't know them. This is something that is going to be needed to be very careful of because you know, we had an uh, evangelist die recently and all kinds of bad things came out about him. I don't know if they're true or not, and I really don't care. Because you know, I know one thing. He was a human being. And I've said it over and over again. When humans sin, it doesn't surprise me. Or when sinners sin, it doesn't surprise me. We're all sinners. So when we sin, I don't get surprised. When I sin, I don't get surprised. I hate it when I sin because I I should know better. But I'm not surprised because we are all sinners. And the problem with many Christians are we expect other Christians to be somehow above sin. And when a Christian sins, we're going, oh my goodness, how could that have happened? Forgetting that we sin, and yet we put these people up on a high pedestal. And we need to be careful putting these Christian singers, Christian uh, ministers and, and pastors on a pedestal and expecting them somehow to be perfect. Jesus is the only perfect person that's ever lived. And we can't expect anybody else to be perfect. And this is something that's going to be very, very important for us to understand. But this is a picture of our world right now murmuring, complaining, playing up to one, other people, uh, speaking swelling words. You know, and we're entering into another new political season where we're going to hear about all these great things that these guys can do for us, that they won't do for us because that's what they do. They get voted for and then forget all the promises they made. And you know, speak all these swelling words of how great they are and how they're going to be the sa- salvation of the com- country and then not fulfill it. This is the one thing that, you know, like him or didn't like him, Trump did. He said he's going to do something. And what did he do? He worked very hard to do the things he said he was going to do. And I liked most of what he said he was going to do. And I voted for him, and on a rare occasion, finally got somebody who, as much as possible, tried to live up to it. Now, I thought he was a jerk. He was an idiot. (laughs) But he did get things accomplished. Most of our politicians speak all these swelling words and then you vote for them thinking "All right, somebody's going to do something and they don't do anything about what they said they were going to do. Not being truthful, speaking over swelling words. We need to be careful that we're not in that camp. In any of these. This should be a verse you should be looking at and saying don't do these four things. And make sure that we're Working to not be that way. We're looking to follow God in all of his uh, positions. Because verse 17 says, but beloved. So in other words, he's changing the topic here. Remember you the words that were spoken before the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going back to things that the prophet, uh, the apostles have said. That they told you that there would be mockers in the last times. And they would walk after their own un godly lusts. There would be mockers, those who are mocking everything. Now this is something that's very interesting. Everything that is good in our day is mocked. And everything that is bad is is starting to be accepted as good. It's also what God said would be in signs of the end times. Good would be called bad, bad would be called good, and you want to get mocked? Just start standing for God and watch what people say. Watch how they act. And it says, there will be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Their own desires for what is forbidden is literally what it's about. How many people do we have living in this world today that want what is forbidden and want to act on it? And are being said that it's good yeah, you know, just look at some of these athlete transgender athletes that switched because they wanted to. I think it's. I don't think it's because they feel like they're woman. They just said, "I can compete better as a as a woman than I could as a man." I think that's what it's all about, it be enough huh? I'll take that and be enough. <laughs> I don't, but it's what I they want. What the it seems strange to me. Uh, I'm a man. I can beat all these women doesn't make sense to me. Because uh, I've always thought it was unfair when women would be in men's sports. You know, right at the end of when I was getting out of school, they were starting to have girls playing football and met with the, the men in the tackle teams. That would scare the daylights out of me. What, what happens is you, for a teenage boy that gets beat by that girl, he's going to be the laughing stock of every guy in the school. What if he actually played hard and hurt the girl. Now he's going to be a pariah to everybody because he hurt a girl. There was a no-win situation. You know, and this is a serious issue that's out there. When you try to say these are equal, and, and we know that emotionally and they are not the same. We know that physically they're not the same. And this is going to be an issue that's going to be having to be faced. The whole women's Sports industry started because women wanted a division that they could compete in on, on their own, and now we're seeing it being invaded. All right, and it's a sad thing that's going on, and all because people are doing, going after their lust for what is forbidden, and it has been in every aspect of this. In the 50s and 60s, we started with this, you know, unbridled sexual revolution where just sleep with anybody you want; it's no big deal. Uh, and all the stuff that happened, and then we moved into the homosexuality and the transgenderism, all these people seeking after the lust of what is forbidden, after their own desires. And you know, we know that God tells us that we are evil at our very heart. We are, you know, the heart is deceptively, equal, uh, deceptively evil beyond all knowledge. That means deep down, every one of us, desire evil. And you know, I've learned that over the years, you know, I've had so much taken out of my life and yet there's so much evil still in my heart. And the more God shines the light into my heart, the more evil I see down there. And That's hard. You're going, God, so long I've been walking with you, can't we get to the bottom of this this heart and not have any more evil? And the answer unfortunately is no. Because God will keep showing us more and more of what is sin. The easy sins, get rid of the actions. The times that we got into fights, the times that we did the, did the activities, those are the easy ones to get rid of. But we'd start dealing with the ones that Jesus started talking about. What did I think? What did I want to say? Even if I was good enough not to say what I wanted to say, and God says, you've still done it in his eyes, You know, the times when I was just saying, okay, I really should just drive my car right up the butt of this person who pulled right out in front of me and take them off the road and go, well, no, we're not going to do that. Number one, I don't want to destroy my car. They deserve it, but I don't want to destroy my car. You know, but you're going all those times when you don't do what you wanted to do or thought about doing. And you start really looking down as God shines the light into your heart and you're going, there's a lot more evil down there than I ever dreamed of. And everybody else may be looking at it and saying, wow, you've got, you got your whole life put together. I was actually told that one time. It was easy for you. You've got your whole life put together and going, you don't even know. You have no clue about what I go through. You know, uh, and what we all go through. You know. And this is the whole thing that we're looking at. People walking after their own ungodly desires. And in our world, There's not even a truth out there that says it's wrong. In our world, it's like if you feel like doing it, go ahead and do it, it's okay. That's what the world tells us. There's no absolute truth, there's no right or wrong, so if you want to do it, go ahead. Doesn't matter who you hurt. Matter of fact, the pinnacle that the educated world is taught is that if you do whatever makes you feel good, you're at the pinnacle of height. And whatever makes you feel good is, is okay. Now their premise is that we're all basically good, so that when we get to the top of the list, we'll be doing what's good for ourselves and for everybody else. The only problem with their premise is wrong. Their premise is wrong because we're not basically good. So when, if we were to if we were to get to the top and do what makes me feel good, it's not going to help anybody else because it is going to be what I want, which usually isn't what's good for everybody else, and that's really bad. And then you look at the Bible and their whole pyramid is upside down because God says the ultimate is to serve others. God flips their pyramid upside down and says, oh, you wanted to do what you you thought was best. No, that's not good. Get up here to the top where you're serving others. And in their idea, that's a terrible place to be. When I was being taught that in in college, I'm looking at that, I'm going, what an unbiblical way of thinking. And I didn't didn't, uh, go over well when I started arguing with the instructor. I I argued with the instructor right down to the basic point that that man is basically good. And uh, and I really challenged her. I go, have you ever dealt with a baby? No. I go, it's obvious. If you had ever dealt with a baby, you would know that we're not basically good. But they will tell you that, well, we train our children to be, to be bad by giving them rules. If we just didn't give them rules, they would not be bad. I'm going, okay, they'd be bad without rules. That's beside the point. You, if you didn't give them a rule, I guess they couldn't be bad because there was no rule to break. But they would be selfish monsters and, and, you know, without a rule. And so we have to understand God's truth. In, in our end days, people are desiring their own lusts. And we see it all around us, everywhere. They want to do what is good for them, no matter who it hurts. And that's what sin does. Satan in heaven, I will be like God. I will be like the most high and leads a third of the angels into rebellion so that he could have what he wanted. I don't have a clue what he promised them. You'll get to sit with me too. Who knows what he promised them? I don't know. He brought a third of the angels with him. Then his temptation to Eve. Well, you know, God's just not being fair to you. He knows that when you eat this, you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. Doubt of God. Doubt of God. And isn't that what we do for most things? We just don't trust that God's ways are best. And I've said it many times. We oftentimes kind of we never say it. We never would dare to say it, but our actions say it. God, if you just knew my situation, you would know that your rules don't apply to, apply to it. And I can almost picture God shaking his head and saying, "I know your situation better than you ever would know your situation. Follow my rules." And yet we go out and do things our way, and our way gets us into trouble. And this is why we need to spend time on, before any decision, praying, deciding what God wants for each of those decisions. Because every decision is going to have consequences to it, good or bad. And, you know, uh, people like myself, who's a manager in, 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 in style, I like to have plan A, B, C, D, E, and F all in place when I, when I step out. And sometimes I have to just listen to God and God says, step out, and I'm going, God, I have no other plans in place. And say, and step out. By faith, step out. It goes against everything in me. And then I have to remember one of, my, one of the verses that I like. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. That lean not on your own understanding is one of the hardest things for me to get past. Because I like making plans. I like having everything in place before I step out. And oftentimes God says, this is what I want you to do. God, that's kind of scary. I don't see any way around God, I don't even see a plan B or C in that, air, that step out. And sometimes it just has to say, step out. Trust me. And those are the good times when I finally do trust him. But it's hard. It's hard for my personality to step out and trust him in those situations. And we need to be able to understand he's saying, trust me. Trust me. Don't do what you think is right. Don't do what you want to do. Because my, my temperament is until I've got it all figured out, I don't want to step out. And that's hard when you're given a God-sized vision and you're going, there is no way this can be done without God. And you're, and you're a planner and an organizer and you're going, God, I just don't, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I can only plan a very th- a little tiny bit because you, you've made this too big. I can't plan it. And you step out. And you do it. And then you watch what God does. It's an amazing thing. We've, most of you have read biographies about these guys who have done God-sized things. And you read their biography and look how God took them step by step, by step, into the God-size picture. And this is something we need to be able to understand. George Mueller, in his day, ran an orphanage that needed 10,000 pounds a year to run. Now, for us, it's not that big a number, and today they make that kind of money no problem, but in his day, 10,000 pounds, was you were basically a millionaire. You could live like a king for a long time. And to take care of the kids every year took 10,000 pounds to feed them, to keep their houses, to keep them educated and clothed. And he did not have any resources outside of what God gave him. He prayed every day for what he needed. And you read his testimony when he first got saved, he was trying to learn because he, he was kind of an organizer or and a scoundrel. He liked to scam people out of money and he was trying to figure out how he was going to stay in Bible college because he couldn't afford it. And he tried to come up with a couple scams to be able to, you know, raise money to go to the Bible college. God didn't let any of them work, but so he finally said, well, I give up, and he started praying. And God gave him some students that needed to learn, I can't remember if it was English or German, but he, to, he taught them a language and got paid plenty of money to stay in school. And then he learned over the years to trust God and pray. Now, God will do that to us. He won't throw us in the middle of a great, big, you know, overwhelming ocean of need without teaching us step by step how to swim in that ocean in the first place. And by the time we get to the ocean with all the steps we've had, we've grown up enough that the ocean will no longer be the ocean. All right. And so this is what it is. We're not to walk after our own ungodly desires, but really seek after God. And this is important for us. Seeking him. Letting him be our leader. And just learning to trust. Now on the flip side of that, you've got people that say, well, I just trust God. And they run off into the middle of the, of the highway to play. You know, and God said, hold it. I didn't tell you to go do that. But I have enough faith to go do it. And God says, I didn't tell you to do that as they get hit by the cars. And then they blame God for being hit by the cars. And God says, I never told you to go out in the, in the highway. And he says, I had other plans for you. This is an area that is very difficult to do. How do I walk by faith and follow God? Well, because I know that many of what he, much of what he tells me is not going to make much sense, but if I just go out and do things that make no sense for the sake of doing them, I could be presuming on God's faith and just jumping off off of it. This is where it gets important to know and hear his voice. Because it is difficult. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So it is important to be able to hear and understand the voice of Jesus. And we all know what it's like to hear the voice. It's been amazing to me in churches where there's a baby crying in the nursery and the mother knows exactly whose baby it is that's crying. They'll listen and go, no, nope, not, not my kid. And the next one, Oop, that's my kid, and you'll see the mother get up without even having been called. They know their own baby's cries. You know, we know one another's calls. You, know, you can hear people's voice and say, "This is." oh, I know who I'm talking to. Uh, you know, today is real easy. You just look at the ID on the phone, and it tells you who you're going to talk to even before you pick up the phone. But we're all old enough to remember when you actually had to pick up the phone and talk to them to find out who was on the phone. You know, and, you know, talk to somebody you knew and it's like, oh, hi, I know who I'm talking to. And I know, they didn't have to tell me who they were. You knew their voice. We are to know God well enough to be able to listen to his voice and obey. And it takes time. It takes time to know his voice and obey. It takes time in prayer. You know, what is my advice to so many people often? Pray. You're in a situation where it doesn't, I can't tell you what, nothing seems right or wrong. Pray. Lift it before God and see what God says, because it's difficult. It is very difficult sometimes to know what God is telling you to do. Have I done it perfectly in every situation? No, I know there's times when I didn't do it the right way. And being a father and and the head of a family, it has hurt my family when I've made bad decisions. I try hard now to make sure that whatever decisions I'm making are prayed over and, and followed by God, because. Now I'm not only hurting a family, I'm hurting a church family if I don't do the right thing. And I don't want that to happen. So I want to ask God in each step of the way, God, what is it you want done? How do you want us to handle each of these individual circumstances that we're going through? And it's very important as we go through this. Then in 19 it says, These be they who separate themselves sensually having not the spirit and this idea of separating themselves from other believers. This has been a really interesting thing that I have looked at especially since COVID has hit and the churches all went on to this online teaching and online church services. I'm going okay that's that's good we can be able to do that because at the time we did not know whether there was a real problem or no real problem. We were hearing about how terrible it was. We're long past the idea that it's even a terrible thing And yet I'm listening to all these people pushing their online church. And I'm looking at God saying forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And so much more as you see the day approaching. And then for years I thought, well, that's just going to be people separating themselves and not coming to church and everything. Now I'm hearing leaders that are saying separate yourself from a body of Christ and come come virtually to church. Well, the problem with virtual church is you have no accountability to anybody. I was talking to somebody that was saying, Yeah, I listen to the messages as I'm doing other work at the same time. I'm going, Okay, that is really good for you. You are really paying attention to God's word and really concentrating on it. Because I do the same thing when I'm traveling. I listen to CSN all the time, I'm listening to messages all the time. Am I really actively listening on most of those messages? No, I'm busy driving. Every once in a while, he say, oh, that was interesting, you know, but it, I'm not fully engaged. I'm not sitting there taking notes down on paper. I'm not reading my Bible as they're reading. It's just washing over me. How many people in virtual church have it just washing over them? And they're busy doing anything else other than just going to church and no accountability. If you're missing from church and you're sitting in the room and people look around and going, oh, I wonder where so-and-so is. That person's got an accountability because hopefully people are going to call them and say, hey, we missed you. Or write a letter and say, we've missed you. Where have you been? No accountability like that in a virtual church. I have problems with virtual church. Yes, it's got its good side. If somebody is housebound and can't get out, it's probably a great way for them to get to church. So I'm not saying get rid of it altogether, but I'm bothered by the way it's being pushed by today's leading pastors as a good alternative to going to church. And I've heard it over and over and I just cringe every time I hear because there's a lot of good teachers saying this kind of stuff on the, on the radio. Guys that I, respect, thought I respected because of their teaching. And I'm going, you're not following scripture. Scripture says, sake, not the assembling, not the gathering around your computer. And you know people go, well you're, you're just a technophobe. And that's funny when they tell me I'm a tech- technophobe. <laughs> it seems oh, I love computers and I love the internet and all of these things. I, I love technology, but I don't want to see technology replace people. And that has become my big concern. You, know, you go out to eat in a restaurant and it's so funny you look around and people are all sitting there on their phones. And it's funny when I look across the way and it's obvious that the people are a couple. They came in with their arm around each other and they sit on opposite sides of the table and pull out their phones. And it's like, okay, you look like you're on a date night, but if all you're going to do is get on your phone, why didn't you stay at home? Instead of coming out with each other. Technology has really weakened personal relationships. And we need to be careful about that. And it's not because I'm a technophobe. It's because I am very concerned about what technology is doing to people. You know, you have people on Facebook. I've got 3,000 friends. Oh, wonderful. Who can you call? Nobody. But I know a lot about 3,000 people. Well, what do you really know about them? Whatever they said on their Facebook. Okay, well, you don't have 3,000 friends. And it's been said, if you have, you know, four or five friends, you're probably very wealthy in friends. All right. And I probably only have a handful of really good friends. I have a lot of acquaintances. But I only have a handful of friends that I go, okay, I, I have a problem at 3 o'clock in the morning. Who can I call? There's only a small group of people that I would call at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, and wake them up for help. Now, I'm a pastor, so I unfortunately get calls at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And that's fine. You know, uh, as long as there's a real need it's fine. Uh, If it's not a need I'm not going to be very happy about being woke up at three o'clock in the morning because I'm only getting up three hours later to go to work. But if it's a need I'm more than happy to step out and help with the need because that's part of being a pastor, that's part of being somebody who's going to be a friend. If my family calls me at three o'clock in the morning I'm going to go out and take care of what they need because that is what A good family person does. For the church, are we meeting each other's needs? Are we able to see one another and know that somebody's missing, know that somebody's hurting? The problem with the virtual churches are you don't get to see that person. You don't get to interact with that person. There's no accountability, no no job that needs to be done in virtual church. In real church, there's all kinds of jobs that need to be done. Maintenance, yard work, cleaning, Uh, teaching Sunday school, teaching, you know, uh, nursery, whatever it might be as we get larger and bigger. There's all kinds of jobs that need to be done. And virtual church, there's no job that needs to be done. Now the church performing it has some needs because they have a church, but I'm just sitting there enjoying, getting maybe fed, listening to good, good music supposedly, and no accountability, nobody requiring me to be there, nobody requiring me to do anything. If I want to give I give if I don't want to give they don't even know I was there anyway so it doesn't matter whether I give or don't give because I wasn't there as far as they're concerned and nobody knows that I was there so I'm in I'm enjoying virtual church with virtual responsibilities which means none <laughs> this is a problem and I know I'm on a soapbox but this is one that's really hurt really irritating me in today's world is how many big churches are really depending upon this virtual church and saying that we're reaching out to the world And yes, they are reaching out to the world, but yet they're not reaching out to the world. And we need to be careful. we, We in this church have a very big ministry. We post all these messages online. And we get a lot of people listening online. Might be nice to hear from them once in a while so we know who's listening, but we get a lot of people listening online. And am I going to say that's bad? No, they're listening. Hopefully they're listening and actually writing notes and paying attention to what they're listening to and not just listening to it while they do other things. But isn't that the temptation we all have? If we're listening to, uh, back in the days when I grew up, tapes, cassette tape missions, or, or CDs, or now we stream them, we podcast them. How many of our younger people listen to these messages on podcast? Now, one thing, if you don't know what podcasting is, that's listening to it you know, off, your, off your, your tablet, or your computer, or your cell phone. And the younger generation listens to podcasts while they work, while they are driving, while they are watching TV. These podcasts are wonderful. God's word might get into their brain a little bit. But the way they're doing it is not paying attention to it. And we have a podcast. You know, our, our, our messages are podcasts as well as streamed on the Internet. We can, and I know several individuals that listen to it on the podcast, and each one of them have told me they do it while they're working. And it's like, okay, wonderful, at least you're listening. But are they really, truly listening? This is what this whole world of the technology technology is doing. People are multitasking. You know. And I used to use that word, the one thing I started realizing, I don't multitask, I do one thing at a time, I may do many things at the same time, but I'm only doing one thing at, at any one time. I spend five, 10 minutes on this one, five, 10 minutes on this one, five, 10 minutes on this one. Go back to this one and spend a couple minutes and go to this one, spend a couple of minutes. Go back to this one, go back over here. But you can never do more than one thing at a time. I may be good at doing multiple things quickly, but I can still only do one thing at a time. So it would be better for us to just say, I'm gonna get one job done and go to the next job. Because we cannot completely, totally multitask. And yet we're in a world where everybody is good at multitasking. Our younger generation, they love to text message. You wanna mess up your kids and your grandkids that are text messaging you, call them. Just take and call them. Because while they're text messaging you, they're also text messaging three or four or five other friends. Uh, and so, you know, if you call them, you have interrupted their communication with five people. But that is the way they think. I'm communicating with all these people. And every once in a while, it's really strange, you'll get this text message, it's just bizarre. I'm going, what was that about? Oh, wrong person. It's like, I'm really glad I'm the one that you're paying attention to right now really makes me feel good that you are communicating with me and how many other people at the same time and this is the way they think this is our world today is so wrapped up in technology that to have an individual one-on-one personal conversation with somebody is something that they just can't even imagine doing I'm communicating and with five people at the same time it, you know and this is a bother you know, they could not do it in real life. Let me talk to you. Let me. That's yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you know. why I like my landline. <laughs> now, is technology totally bad? No, it's not totally bad, but it is leading to some really interesting areas. You know, and if you really start watching what's going on right now, they're trying to inv- improve man. They want to get cyber technology into us so they can directly control our brains and our actions. That is their goal. They are actively trying to do this kind of stuff. And this is a scary technology if it, could, if it was to come true and they're, and they're making great strides into it. And when they start talking about the mark of the beast or the chip that's going to be around at that time, that chip is going to have a lot more than just your information. It'll be a tracking device. It will probably have some kind of form of control. How many of you have phones that can tell you what your heart rate is and your pulse rate is and how far you've walked and and track your blood pressure and and your blood sugar? They're advertised on TV all the time. Those are literal things that are happening out there. You're not the only one that gets that information. Your doctor is not the only one getting that information. The government gets that information as well. That's the information they want to know. What? Hold it, their, their blood pressure just skyrocketed. What were they doing? Where were they at? What what was happening around them when that happened? They want to know you. And I'm going to tell you with AI, the companies know you better than you know yourself in most cases. Have you ever bought stuff, you know many of this group may not have, but have you bought stuff from Amazon or all these places and then you started getting advertising for things? And you come and some of the advertising they send you is pretty darn accurate about what you what you might like. And you bought some you bought four or five things and all of a sudden you go, well let's see what's the pattern on these four or they like this. And they'll send it to you. When I had Netflix, I rated probably 10 or 20 movies and they started recommending movies to me. Movies I had never heard of. And I started watching them and going, wow, they kind of know me already because I enjoyed the movies that they recommended. This is how accurate the computer AIs are getting out there. They know us better than we know ourselves. Scary. It is scary. And then you, this AIs will lead to the power of the Antichrist to control the people. Because the AIs will know the people better than they know themselves. They will anticipate and be able to help him anticipate your next move, your next activity. this is how powerful AI and it is a scary it is scary to think of how powerful AIs are it's scary that I've actually written AI programs that are probably still in use today all right uh, because AI has been making decisions for years and helping to make decisions and it's not that hard it gathers up enough information and analyzes it and, and makes speculations and re- from what others have done and, and where you're probably going to and they know you very well. This is how we, why we can talk to computers. They've recorded enough voice now that it doesn't matter what your accent is, they'll be able to interpret what you're saying. If you've ever played with voice recognition software, I remember the first Dragon Speak that I used, which is to, takes text and makes it into speech. You had to read this piece of paper this well as book and had to repeat every statement like 10 times for it to figure out your voice and it still got it wrong most of the time. All right, Now, AI is pretty close. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to send a text message by speaking at your phone and watching the text be typed. You don't even have to push the buttons anymore, you can speak it. One of the big problems that God put into place when they, with Tower of Babel was the language barrier. If you have a cell phone, you don't have a language barrier anymore. You take and record what you want, have it translate, hand it to the per- you know, show it to the person, and it's translated into their language. They can speak back to you, you hit the translate button, and it'll translate it back into English. We have no... The things that God has put in place to stop us have been overcome by technology. And we're starting to see the one world government coming back together, the one world attitude. And God says, it is not good that man is this way says that will put their minds together and do what they want. And this is something that we're going to see more and more evil coming about as the world becomes smaller and smaller. How small has the world gotten just in our day? You know, it used to take, if you wanted to cross the country, even by plane, hours and hours. Now you can get from here and they would fly you to the west coast and back to the east coast in less than, less than two hours. Two and three hours to fly all the way, you know. The supersonics take you to, to Europe in just a few hours. You know, how long, you know, not so long ago. hundred years ago to get to Europe was, an, was a month trip on the ship. Now we just fly on it thinking no big deal. People go, well, I'm going all the way to India, it's gonna take me 17 hours. You know, I've heard a couple of people that are going to India and they're going, it's only gonna take 17 hours to get there. And that sounds like a long time, but it's not long when you think about what it was a, a hundred years ago. You know, a month to get across and then land, land or ship around Africa. You, you were talking six or seven months to get to India from America. And now we can do it in just in less than a day. Our world has gotten so small. You know, communication, we call people all the time. Long distance, you know, we don't even think about long distance anymore. Long distance are part of our plans, or long distance are part of our phones. We don't worry about it. I, when I was young, calling Grandma from the East Coast, there were four of us in the family, or three of us in the family, excuse me, and each one of the kids got to say, Hi, Grandma, how are you doing, and give it to the next kid. That was the extent of our phone call and conversation with Grandma. You know, Heaven help us if she wanted to answer us. You know, And it went to the three kids and went back to mom and dad. And then they hung up within, you know the whole, the whole time with grandma it took maybe five minutes with, with, with uh, five people talking. You know, because it was so expensive. Now we just call, we use video chats, we do all kinds of things. All of it is good. But all of it also is suffering and separating us from one another. And this is where we need to be, not separated. And he says, they were sensual, subject to the appetites of their soul. How many people do we know around us and we see around us that are subject to the appetites of their soul, what they want to do? In our day and age, it's almost a badge of honor to do what you want to do, no matter what. You know, know, we wanted what we wanted, so we rioted and burned down the city. And, yeah, look at that. They, they, they were standing up for what they believe in. Unless you were out at the Capitol, then you were put in prison for, for a year uh, without trial. <laughs> burn down Michigan, burn down uh, Portland, take over Seattle. Okay, you all are heroes. And I don't, I don't think any of it was good. Don't get me wrong. None of it was good, including the Capitol riot. But keep the same standard. If the one's good, then the other one's good. And if that one's bad, those ones should have been bad keep the same standard which to me is that it was all evil. They were all doing what they wanted to do in their own soul and they have not the Spirit of God. God's Spirit in us will put and crucify the flesh and help us make decisions that honor God and this is important for us. Are we truly looking to honor God? And the only way we're gonna do that is for the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, changing us from the inside out and making us more godly from the inside. As the Holy Spirit smothers our soul and changes our soul to be more like Him. He does the work. And the more work He does, the more I desire to be like God and seek after God. And without that Spirit, I may try to discipline my flesh and do what's right, do quote unquote what's right, and beat my beat my flesh with a whip and a chair and, and try to get the lion up on the chair and uh, you know and don't turn your back on the flesh because then it'll jump down and off that chair and come after you, you know and that's exactly what happens. We beat our flesh into a, to to obedience, get it sitting up on that chair and turn our back on it and get mauled because the flesh cannot be tamed. It must be changed. And the only way it's going to be changed is when God crucifies my flesh. The soul is embedded into the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit changes it to be like, more like God over time. And this is what salvation is all about. When we first get saved, we are justified. God declares us perfect from the throne room of heaven. You've accepted my son, you are perfect. He clothes us in Jesus Christ's righteousness. Then we will spend the rest of our life being sanctified. What is sanctification? That is where the Holy Spirit comes in and grabs hold of us and starts changing us. And note that I said sanctification is this flesh being made perfect. Not me making it perfect, God working it out. Now, how does he do that? He puts us into situations where we get to make decisions. Am I gonna do it the flesh's way? Or am I gonna do it God's way? And most of that is going to really depend on how closely am I walking to God at the moment that temptation comes. And even if I'm walking close to God, I may still make the wrong decision because I let the flesh rule. But he'll put us in that situation. And then when we, if and when we fail, God says, okay, We'll wait a little while, and we'll put you back in the same exact test. Or, not the same exact test, but the same test. Okay, you, you failed being trustworthy in this area? Okay, we'll give you a chance in another week. Okay, you're gonna be faithful, faithful this time? Whoops, you failed again. All right, we're gonna make you, see if you're gonna do it this next time. God does not work the way the school system works. School system says, okay, you didn't pass this test, you move on, moving on. We know that you can't add one plus one, but we're going to put you to the next grade, We now you have to multiply one plus one. And, you know, oh, you didn't pass that one. Now we're going to move you to the next class. Now we're going to put you into algebra. And you can't do adding or subtracting, but we're going to put you into algebra. God doesn't do that. He said, you failed addition. You get to keep here until you pass addition. Oh, OK, you passed addition. OK, now we can take you to multiplication. As you know, I love math. So, Oh, you got math? You got multiplication? OK, we're going to take you to algebra. Trigonometry, calculus, (laughs) number theory. (laughs) But he will not take us till we're ready and past the first stage. And there are many people that I have known that keep failing their first stage. And fail and fail and fail and fail. And And it's like, when are you going to learn? Now, I'm not much one to speak because I already told you I I had six years of failing one time with God. Where I kept doing it my way. I I am thick headed and hard headed myself. I've gotten better. God doesn't have to beat me over the head quite as much as he has in the past. But are we willing to listen and alter our life to match his? Be in the spirit and not separated from the spirit. This is what's important. God wants a relationship with us, personal relationship with us. Not one where we just send him quick text messages and Facebook posts and Twitter, Twitter posts. He wants to know us and he wants to have that personal relationship with us. And we need to make sure that we're looking to serve God wholeheartedly and completely and not be separated from him. And we're going to end here. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. Give us a wonderful time. Lord, teach us to have a more personal relationship with you and be following you in all that we do. Help us to seek you in all we do and and follow you and not our ways. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.